Life Audio. Welcome to Truth Tribe with Doug Grothuis, where we seek the truth about the things that matter most through reason and evidence. Today I'd like to read a section from my book called Fire in the Streets, How You Can Confidently Respond to Incendiary Cultural Topics. This is a book about critical race theory, or what we sometimes call wokeness. The book has not really sold as I would have liked. I guess I could say that of all my books, although I have much to be thankful for with all my 19 books. But let me tell you what the book is about by reading the sections and chapter titles. And then I'm going to read a section from pages 121 and following on reparations. Well, good day to you. It's Joel with The King Country dropping in to let you know that our brand new film, Unsung Hero, is in theaters now. It's Luke here. We've teamed up with the creators of Jesus Revolution to bring you this adventure of a lifetime. It's a powerful, true story about a family uniting, growing in their faith and facing the impossible together. In theaters now, unsunghero.movie for more information. Rated PG. Parental guidance suggested. Introduction, Who Started the Fire? Section 1, How the Blaze Got Started. Chapter 1, Fire in the Mind of Karl Marx and His Followers. Chapter 2, Fire in Our Own House. Section 2, Burning It All Down. Chapter 3, What is America and Should We Burn It? Chapter 4, America and Systemic Racism. Chapter 5, Ideology and Torching Free Speech. Chapter 6, Should We Set Aflames to the Free Market? Chapter 7, Race and Identity. Section 4, A Better Fire. Chapter 8, The Christian Framework. Chapter 9, Fanning Bully Flames. Let me read a section from the chapter, Should We Set Flames to the Free Market? Subtitle, The Socialist Alternative, Race and Reparations. Even if we grant that the free market system has done a disservice to black people, something I do not grant, it does not follow that socialism would be any better for them or for anyone else. Remember that a realistic view of politics is that of the constrained vision, which aligns with the Judeo-Christian account of our humanity, culture, and the state. Finding injustices in one system does not imply that these injustices will be eliminated or lessened by another system. Other injustices may replace and exceed the previous injustices. This is true for socialism. And the track record of socialism on every indicator is nothing to brag about. The USSR regime was far worse than Tsarist Russia. Mao Zedong exceeded the evils of his predecessors by many or orders of magnitude, and so it goes. But might reparations help black people in America, even if we do not embrace outright socialism? Do black people in the United States deserve reparations because their ancestors were enslaved and thus deprived of wages and wealth, and because they were further economically discriminated against in the Jim Crow era and beyond? Those who claim that America is systemically racist advance reparations as a measure to make it more equitable. This question of reparations has several dimensions. 
They divide into questions of moral principle and questions of pragmatic possibility. But first, to definitions. The word reparation is roughly equivalent to restitution or recompense. A reparation is a good given by one offending party to another disadvantaged party to compensate for or address a previous wrongdoing. Some cases are clear-cut, as in the biblical view. Quote, Whoever steals an ox or a sheep and slaughters it or sells it must pay back five head of cattle for the ox and four sheep for the sheep. Unquote. Exodus 21, verse 1. The restitution goes beyond replacing the stolen good to penalizing the thief who must pay back more than he stole. Jesus commended the repentance and restitution offered by the corrupt tax collector Zacchaeus, who, after having fellowship with Jesus, cried out, quote, Look, Lord, here and now I give half of my possessions to the poor, and if I have cheated anybody out of anything, I will pay back four times the amount, unquote. Luke 19, verse 8. In these cases, the wrongdoer directly gives restitution or reparation to the one wronged. Thus, justice is served. But what if reparation regarding groups? Consider the internment of about 120,000 Japanese Americans on our own soil during World War II. The federal government, fearing that Japanese Americans might be more loyal to Japan than America, took these citizens from their homes, confiscated their property, and put them in detention camps until the end of the war. Long afterward, the United States government admitted the wrongness of these actions and offered reparations to those living who had been interned. About 80,000 survivors were paid $20,000 each in reparations. The point is not to consider whether the amount paid was adequate. It was not. But whether the principle involved was just, it seems it was. Those interned were easily identifiable as Japanese, and the perpetuator was clearly identifiable as the United States government. The German government still pays reparations to Jews who were imprisoned and oppressed by the Nazis. Those who oppress the Jews, the Nazis, are not paying the reparations, but those who directly experience the oppression are receiving them. These two cases of reparations for Japanese Americans and Jews trade on the right principles. Now on to reparations to black people in the United States. All those directly afflicted by the evils of slavery are long dead and cannot be compensated in this world. All those who sinfully enslave them are long dead and cannot be punished in this world. Some of those benefiting economically, white people, and suffering economically, black people, during the Jim Crow era, are still alive. But this does not include all black people or all white people in America today, and sorting it out is impossible. Taneshi Coates and others argue that since black people were sometimes not allowed to fairly receive federal loans for housing, this further adds weight to the need for reparations. This was called redlining, which is a discriminatory practice that put services, financial and otherwise, out of reach 
for citizens of certain areas based on race and ethnicity. But how could these people or their descendants be identified and compensated today? Not all black people today were affected by this. The fact that the civil government created a problem does not mean that the civil government can fix it, as I noted earlier in this book. Still, some argue that even if black people were not directly hurt by slavery or Jim Crow, the ongoing effects of racism merit reparations. Even if white people did not directly hurt black people, they owe black people something nevertheless, given their unearned white privilege. This idea requires the concept of collective and racial guilt. White people are guilty because of their race and because of their ancestry. Black people are entitled to reparations because of their race and because of their ancestry. Or we might insist that the American government as a whole is guilty, so it should pay reparations not white people in particular. Some will appeal to biblical texts to support the idea of collective guilt. For example, Daniel confessed the sins of his people, not merely his own sins. Quote, Lord, the great and awesome God, who keeps his covenant of love with those who love him and keep his commandments, we have sinned and done wrong. We have been wicked and have rebelled. We have turned away from your commands and laws. We have not listened to your servants, the prophets, who spoke in your name to our kings, our princes, and our ancestors, and to all the people of the land, unquote. Daniel 9, 4-6. But making Daniel an apologetic for reparations fails. He does judge sin as collective, so that the whole nation needs to repent. However, he is speaking of sins committed in the present tense, not of a sinful institution or institutions that had long ended. Daniel asks for mercy, quote, We do not make requests of you because we are righteous, but because of your great mercy, unquote. Daniel chapter 9, verse 18. He appeals to God's grace and does not call for compensation for sins. That was not his situation. While collective guilt was real to Daniel, the Bible stresses individual responsibility. The prophet Ezekiel prophesied, quote, God's message to me, what do people mean by going around the country repeating the saying, the parents ate green apples, the children got the stomach ache. As sure as I'm the living God, you're not going to repeat this saying in Israel any longer. Every soul, man, woman, and child belongs to me, parent and child alike. You die for your own sin, not another, unquote. That is Ezekiel 18, 1-4, and that is the message paraphrase, which I think is particularly helpful here. What impacts you every day? There is one book that influences almost every aspect of our lives. Museum of the Bible reveals the Bible's impact on your favorite musicians and artists, the way we measure time, social justice, our national monuments, and more. The Bible's impact is all around you. Discover how at museumofthebible.org slash impact. But even if collective guilt is real, or was real during biblical times, that in itself does not justify reparations. Guilt should be admitted where necessary, where necessary, 
and repentance should be enacted where necessary. But reparations demand far more than admitting guilt and being repentant. They involve questionable practices of justice and massive economic outlays. What pragmatic good might reparations do? For the sake of argument, let us grant that reparations are due to American black people. How might they be given, and what effect might they have? First, is the problem of identifying which black people should receive the reparations. Many black people in the United States have no American ancestry of slavery. Thus, to compensate them seems unfair. For example, on November 2, 2021, Winsome Sears, a nationalized citizen from Jamaica, was elected lieutenant governor of Virginia. She has no ancestry of American slavery. Should she receive reparations? How would black people verify their slave heritage? The prospects are slim, but some might be able to do it. Second, given the general deleterious effects of the Great Society on African Americans, something I argue about elsewhere in the book, during which huge amounts of money were given directly or indirectly to black people, why should we surmise that more wealth transfers to redistribution would benefit black people overall now. The blight of black underachievement goes far deeper than a lack of funds or racism. It reaches to agency, values, culture, and character. As Thomas Sowell, Jason Riley, Shelby Steele, and others have argued, and all of them are, by the way, African Americans, an infusion of money would directly help some black people and would help many chronically low-income white people as an Appalachia. But there is no guarantee that reparations in general would solve, let alone ameliorate, the kinds of problems the black community experiences. Third, would reparations be given to all black people, irrespective of their net wealth and income? Would black business tycoons, such as billionaire Oprah Winfrey, receive reparations? when they obviously have benefited tremendously from the American economic system and are in no need of money? Would Tennessee Coates, a well-off and best-selling author who wrote a book to teach his son that America is against him because he is black, receive them? He has argued for reparations before Congress and in his influential essay in The Atlantic, which I quoted earlier. However, according to identity politics, since all black people are members of an oppressed group, they all are entitled to reparations. Such is the intellectual poverty of identity politics. Fourth, as I write in 2021, America's economy is in crisis, given high inflation, which hurts the poor disproportionately since they don't have the discretionary income of the more wealthy supply chain problems, shortages of various products, and worker shortages. The federal government is printing fiat money as fast as the presses can run, which contributes to inflation. As of October 20, 2021, the ever-increasing national debt stood at $28.8 trillion, and I haven't checked it recently, but I guarantee it has not gone down. The massive outlay of funds needed for reparations would exacerbate this debt and would, on balance, 
not benefit the American people as a whole or the black community in particular, since increased debt diminishes the strength of the currency and trade, stifles economic growth, and increases unemployment. Consider the Bible, quote, The rich rule over the poor, and the borrower is the slave to the lender, unquote. Proverbs 22, 7. The Apostle Paul advises, quote, Let no debt remain outstanding, except a continuing debt to love one another, for whoever loves others has fulfilled the law, unquote. Romans chapter 13, verse 8. If the free market were torched for the sake of ending or lessening racism and replaced by socialism, racism would not go away or even decrease. Rather, Americans of all colors would lose treasured freedoms and opportunities. Forcing so-called equity economically through the state would spark strife and discontent. Whatever legacy remains of slavery, Jim Crow, or redlining, is best addressed by the possibilities and opportunities afforded through free enterprise, rather than by insisting on compensatory, will-the-wisp notions, such as affirmative action, minimum wage laws, tax increases on the rich, reparations, and other political dead ends. If any social system should be committed to the flames on the basis of evidence, principle, and history, it is socialism in all its forms. That is the end of the chapter, Should We Set Flames to the Free Market? And my concluding paragraph there relates to the arguments in the entire chapter. I have simply read pages 121 to 127 of my book. So if you'd like to know more about my case against critical race theory and my case for a uh, conservative view of politics and economics, which is given within the framework of the Christian worldview, then I hope you will consider buying or listening to Fire in the Streets, how you can confidently respond to incendiary cultural topics. That was published by Salem Books in 2022. This has been Doug Grotheis with Truth Tribe. If you appreciate this program, please tell someone else about it. And you can find out more about me and how I might serve you at my webpage, douglasgrotheis.com. Thank you for listening. Truth Tribe is a production of Life Audio and Salem Media. If you liked what you heard today, please take a second to rate and review this podcast in your favorite podcast app so that more listeners like you can find the show. For more faith-filled, inspirational podcasts, visit us at lifeaudio.com. This is Perseus Poku, host of the Sound Reasoning Ministry podcast. Learn how to share and defend your faith by listening to us weekly. Subscribe at lifeaudio.com.